Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Jennifer Roth. My name is Jennifer Roth. I am the pastor of Women's Ministries. I've been around Salem Alliance for about 30 years, on staff for about five. So glad to see you here today. We have been in a series on the Proverbs called Foolproof. As Steve launched this series, he reminded us that we will all make an absolute mess of our lives if we don't find and grow in wisdom. We've been talking about the fact that we are on a path towards a destination and that we want that to be the path of wisdom. So today, as we wrap up this series, next week we'll begin a series on Nehemiah. But Today, as we wrap up, we're going to look at the wisdom found in the Proverbs on the topic of friendship. Before I dive into the teaching on that, I just have to confess that friendship has not come easy to me. I sense and believe in our world that there are different things that we are intuitive about. Some people have intelligence and intuition around mechanical things. Their brains just grasp how things work. And you'll see this in kids who just build these Legos and they get these kinds of things and they become engineers. Or maybe there's the artistic gifting and intuition where what you see makes sense in your mind's eye in a way different than others. And you can translate that onto a canvas or a sculpture in a way that people can recognize that it was actually something. There are these giftednesses. Intellect, academic, test-taking, I believe social is one of them. Having social intuition about what the people around you expect is a giftedness that I did not possess naturally. As a child, friendship was a rough road for me as I tried to figure out what people were expecting of me, and it's kind of a trial and error thing when your intuition doesn't kick in for you. And so you try this, and it doesn't work, and you figure this out, and you establish this belief system about what friendship is and what friendship looks like. And I've got to be honest. I was on the wrong end of a bunch of things in friendship, being a bully and being bullied, Being unkind and having others be unkind to me. And I won't walk through all those details, but I will say that as I experienced the competition of friendship, because let's be clear, in grade school and middle school, friendship can become a competition. Either you're her best friend or I'm her best friend. One of us is going to win. That's a competition. That is not how God designed friendship. It becomes about comparing. I look from where I sit over there at some friends who seem like they're having so much fun together, and I think, well, I don't have that experience, and that still happens today. I look on Facebook, and there's a picture of a girl I know with her besties at the beach, and I'm like, where are my besties, and why aren't we at the beach? And I'm still comparing friendship. And then there are those hard and those hurtful times that it's just, there's no other word for it than rejection. You have walked a path with somebody and they choose that they no longer want to walk that path with you. And some beliefs are developed and some self-protection things happen and, and you come to the place of adulthood and you have this friendship dynamic filter in your life that's not always truth. Sometimes it's just the natural transition of life. Somebody moves away, you have to change schools, your family changed churches, and all of a sudden your friend group is upset and you're trying to figure out again, where do you fit and how does this work? So as an adult, I found myself with this huge friendship pendulum swing. And on one end of the pendulum, I'm controlling. I want to be all things to all people all the time, making sure that everybody is happy with me all the time. I'm going to be everybody's best friend. 
And the other end of the pendulum is complete disengagement. It's too painful. If I acknowledge my need and express my need and nobody is there to meet my need, that's too hard. So I don't need anybody and I don't need anything and I can just do this life independently because it's easier than being vulnerable and extending myself out there and letting somebody know that, hey, I want to be your friend. And as I have grown and God has brought some healing into my life and hopefully some maturity, the pendulum swings a little less far each time. I've walked some relationships with people who have been kind and caring with me and stuck with me through the swings of my pendulum and has helped me set my anchor and my roots deep into what true and healthy friendship looks like. The ability to flow with the seasons of life and understand that friendship shifts and changes over time, to be comfortable in my own skin and be comfortable bringing my real self to the relationships that I'm in. But that didn't come easy for me. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so grateful for scripture because the wisdom writer in Proverbs gives us a lot of insight and instruction on friendship. Relationship is important to God and so we look to the scriptures to see how to do this thing called friendship. I've invited my son Titus to come up this week and read the scriptures for us, um, some selected Proverbs and from Ecclesiastes on friendship. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Words from a friend can be trusted. A person standing alone can be attacked and conquered, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better because a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Thanks, Titus. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Friends, we live in a broken world. We read the origins of our brokenness in Genesis, and we understand that the world is under the curse of sin. Romans tells us that all of creation groans for the world to be restored to the perfection that God intended. And we can see that brokenness in ourselves. And when we look out, we can see the brokenness in the world around us and how it has impacted us. It's why God created us to live in relationship because he knew we would need each other. And in this battle that Ephesians tells us is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and the principalities of this dark world, when we have two together, we can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Friends, we need each other. Jesus said that the world would recognize us as his followers by the way we love each other. How we do friendship matters. It matters for me. It matters for you, it matters for us corporately, it matters for the big C church, and it matters for this city who we have been praying would be a people at peace with God, how we do this thing that we're talking about today called friendship. One of the awkward friendship seasons in my life was my sophomore year in college. 
I think sophomore and awkward might be pretty good words to go together often, not for everybody, but it's just this year in between things, right? And my freshman year, new to college, I had lived on campus out at Western Oregon, and you're there for the meals in the cafeteria, and you see your friends between classes, and you stay up late into the night, and typical freshman stuff, and I was attending Campus Crusade for Christ, and the weekly meetings were high energy, and lots of people I knew from campus, and great connections. My sophomore year, I moved home to save money and I was a commuting student. And all of that changed. Some of my closest friends changed schools. I continued to try to stay late one night and on campus and go to Campus Crusade, but somehow the inner circle had changed and, and they weren't really reaching out to me and I couldn't figure out how to get in. And I was really, really struggling and it was a lonely fall for me. I remember one time late in the fall, I sat down with my mom and I poured my heart out to her and my mom gave me a word that was a hard word, but a good word. She said, Jennifer, I know this must be so hard for you, and, and my heart hurts with you for how hard this is, and I'm guessing there are other people there who feel the same way as you. That inner circle of people aren't really reaching out to them, and they don't know how to get in. And she said, Jennifer, I know you. I've seen you with others. I know that you know how to reach out to others. So maybe you need to attend this thing and look for other people on the outskirts or the fringe and, and you be the inviter, you connect with them. And it, it changed my mindset and something shifted in me and instead of going to various social circles that year looking for what I could get, how could these people meet my friendship needs, I went to those places asking what can I give? What can I do to be a friend in this situation? What can I do to help others make connections? What can I do to give to this situation? And I was astounded by what I received and how connected I felt as a result of looking at it from a different perspective. And so as we look at friendship today, I wanna acknowledge that I recognize one of the key truths on this topic is that we all long for that place of belonging the community of people or the couple close friends where we just feel at home and like we belong there. And yet rather than talking today about how to find that community for ourselves, I wanna talk about how to become that community as a group of people. There was a saying on the picture in my house when I was growing up that said the best way to have a friend is to be one. And so as we talk about friendship this morning, I want to talk about based on the wisdom of scripture, what kind of friend am I called to be? We're going to start with the Proverbs that talk about speaking life-giving words. Last weekend, Steve Fowler talked about speaking life-giving words and challenged us that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And if you missed that sermon, I encourage you to look back on the live um, simulcast, what do we call that? Live stream? Archives or podcasts and listen to that one. Great message on the power of our words. You know, as I was getting ready for this, I was actually reminded that Steve preached a whole series out of the Proverbs a couple years ago called Friending. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, this is really where I'm at. I need to learn some things about relationships and friendship. I would encourage you to listen to the podcast on those, which you can find online as well. But looking at some specific Proverbs about friendship and our words, let's look at some concepts about being a true friend. Starting here in... Proverbs 16, 28. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. 
So as we look at the words, the, the wisdom writer often, I had a list of these are the don'ts of friendship and these are the do's of friendship. So a couple of the don'ts of friendship are strife and gossip. So let's look at those. Strife, by definition, is vigorous or bitter conflict, a quarrel or antagonism. So I picture this planting the seeds of strife as people who are out there just throwing out these seeds of things that stir up the conflict that we all know is there. They're antagonizing others. They're, they're pulling out the worst in people. They're, they're throwing, they're planting these seeds to see what will grow. And I don't know why we do it. I don't know what motivates us to do that. Maybe there are folks who just like that animated conversation so much that they're willing to push the big red button on your chest so that they can have that animated conversation with you. Maybe there's someone who's just not okay themselves and so they need others to not be okay. I'm not sure what motivates this, but it's a troublemaker who plants seeds of strife. And as a friend, we need to be careful not to stir the pot Not to poke the bear and go, hey, watch, I can make his temper flare. It's not kindness. And gossip, gossip is talking about people behind their back. It's just simply this. If it's not your story, then it's not yours to tell. And church, we are the worst at this when it comes to prayer requests. We gossip so often in the name of supporting each other for prayer. I had a woman in my office several years ago She came in and she said, oh, I've really been thinking about you lately because of such and such. And she must have seen the look that crossed my face because I had shared that such and such with a different person in confidence. And she saw the look that crossed my face. She goes, oh, no, oh, I know. She told me it was in the strictest of confidence. (laughs) Friends, that's gossip. If it's not our story to tell, even if we weren't asked to hold it in confidence, I have a story to tell. It's my life and it's about me. Let's say I'm involved with someone and there's a conflict and it's a struggle. I may say, I need wisdom for how to deal with this. But if I drag out the whole story and tell these people that are not a part of the problem or part of the solution, everything that's going on, that is gossip. And gossip divides friends. It doesn't unify. Just don't do it. (laughs) End of sermon. Go home. No. Proverbs 10, 18, there's more, but wait, there's more. Slandering others makes you a fool. So the difference between gossip and slander is that slander is making a false statement damaging to a person's reputation. Let's just say, because I hope it's true, that there's nobody in this room who willfully, maliciously would make up a lie about somebody else to damage their reputation. Let's just say that that wouldn't be the case. But let's move to the gray area where so-and-so heard such-and-such from somebody and it could be that this person is doing or thinking this and maybe it's really important for that person to know what's going on in case this is true and that is slander. If you are not part of the problem or the solution and you don't have a clear-cut call from God to be involved in the communication on this thing, it's besides the fact that it could be false, it's gossip. Go back to point A. Don't do it. We need to guard our tongue. Being a good friend means guarding our words and speaking life-giving words and being careful not to plant seeds of strife, not to gossip, and certainly not to slander. One other area where we need to be careful with our words. Proverbs eleven twelve: a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. 
derides isn't a word that we use very often, so I look it up, and derision means to express contempt for or ridicule. It's to make fun of. It's to use sarcasm. It's to kind of just pick and pick and pick at somebody to tear them down. Words that are tearing down and not building up. I know that in our culture, there is this, um, there are places and pockets with your friends, with your family at work, where there's this healthy kind of, you know, you pick at each other. There's some sarcasm. There's some good nature joking going on. Recognize that there's not necessarily this black and white sharp line that I can make sense of it for you, but pay attention because my guess is that if you paid attention, you might notice that there is somebody who's always the brunt of the jokes. But if the certain joke is about not being very athletic, there's a face that comes to your mind about, oh yeah, that's who my friends and I normally joke about if we're joking about not being athletic or not being intelligent, or not being beautiful, or not being you fill in the blank? Is there somebody that's always the brunt of those jokes? And even if that person were to tell you, your friend or your coworker or your family member, oh no, I'm fine, it doesn't hurt my feelings, they have to say that. It's not safe to say anything different. If you're in a group of people where you're always ripping on each other, you can't say, hey, you guys are hurting my feelings. You have to just smile and pretend like it's fine. And I confessed earlier that I've been on both sides of this. I've been the person saying things that were unkind and the person receiving things that were unkind and trying to pretend like it didn't hurt my feelings. And we have to guard our tongue and be that person of understanding. Don't be the person who lacks judgment and is too quick to ridicule and too quick with a joke on your tongue that you don't notice that you are hurting and wounding people. There are a lot of things that you do that nobody will remember. But let me tell you this, there are words of yours that will be remembered 40 years from now. Guard your tongue. To wrap up this idea of speaking life words, I would say a good friend would be able to say this, your name is safe in my mouth. Your name, who you are, I will not say or do anything that ridicules you or slanders you or spreads gossip about you or to you. I won't plant seeds of strife. Your name is safe in my mouth. As we move on, we see that another category the Proverbs talk about is to humbly look out for the interest of others, to not be so self-centered. Friends, if all we can think about in friendship is how are these people meeting my friendship needs? Am I lonely or am I feeling like I have lots of people around? Am I confident or am I insecure? If it's all about me, we've missed part of the point because friendship is a two-way street where what I have to offer is just as important and valuable and necessary as what people have to offer me. And so we've gotta be people who humbly look out for the interests of others and we're not living such a self-centered life. Paul says it best in Philippians chapter two. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. How often is trying to impress others our first foot forward when we're trying to make a friend? And Paul says, rather than try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Take an interest. Care about the things that they care about. Notice and ask questions about what their concerns are. Pay attention to the, where they are, what their needs are, what season of life they're in. Make their interests, the things that are important to them, important to you. 
Here's one way. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. So part of making their interest our interest is to notice the need. To notice when there's a season that they have more needs than less. Perhaps there's been a death in the family or a birth in the family or a season of depression or they've lost their job. There's something that, or they're wrestling with something from their childhood and they need somebody to just bounce ideas off of and truth off of. I remember a time in my life when I recognized that some of the things I had always believed weren't true and it kind of opened up the floodgates of, okay, what else isn't true? And I needed wise people in my life to be present with me and to help in my time of need. Hear me though, helping doesn't mean rescuing and helping doesn't mean saving. There is one savior, his name is Jesus, and you and I each have a Jesus-sized need in our life. And so when we walk with someone as a friend and we are loyal to them and we help in a time of need, we show up and we are present. We don't show up to fix it. We don't show up to rescue. We trust Jesus to be the savior, but we show up to let them know that we love them and we care about them. And if we can be of practical help to them, bring a meal or a word of encouragement, we're going to do that. But we recognize that Jesus is the only one who saves. We show up and we are present. You know, our family went through a crisis a number of years back and it was fascinating to see which friends stepped in and which friends stepped out. Are we comfortable in the mess that is life sometimes, in the health crisis, in the financial crisis, in the relational crises? Are we comfortable being with people when they're not okay? Can we be present and lean in and be with them in those times? Another one, Proverbs 27, 9. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. And when I think of heartfelt counsel, I have to point out that there's a difference between heartfelt counsel and flippant advice. When somebody's going through something, we're like, oh, you should do this, or you should do this. Or even worse, advice that serves our purposes. Well, try this, because that would make it better for me. I'm in a relationship with you, and you're struggling, so you should go this path, because that makes it better for me. Heartfelt counsel is counsel that has listened well that has asked questions, that has been prayerful and mindful of bringing this person to Jesus, even asking God, God, what's your heart for this person? How can I walk with them? What is wisdom in being a friend with them? And then when I open my mouth, I can offer what I have to give with open hands, humbly, without taking offense if they don't receive it, because it's not really about me. It's not about if they're validating me by taking my advice. It is, I care about you. This is the counsel I would give, and I will continue to pray for you because you are the only one who gets to walk your life. And so I give it humbly. And one more, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I don't know if you've noticed, but when iron sharpens iron, there has to be friction, sometimes even conflict. And sometimes having the interests of our friends in mind means giving the hard word. It means saying the things that's not easy to say or even setting a boundary that, that breaks your heart. But you have to say, when you are on that path, I will not go down that path with you. See, silly putty doesn't sharpen iron. Our friends don't need us 
to be what they want us to be and say what they want us to say and do what they want us to do. Our friends need us to be true to who God made us to be and be a reflection of his character in their life and to expect them to be true to who God made them to be and to help them walk as a reflection of Jesus and to reflect back to them when they're not doing that. So there are times when you need to say, when we need to say, what you are doing is not right. The way that you are saying that is unkind. The path that you are on is not the path of wisdom. And there are times when we need to set boundaries and say, I will not be your drinking buddy. I will not laugh at those jokes with you. I will not sit here and gossip. I will not look at those websites because I will not walk down a path with you that is a path to destruction and pretend like we are okay because I want to be your friend. A friend does not mean that we're always good. A friend means that I have your interests in mind and I will be willing to say the hard things because I love you so much. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We give honest feedback. We are present with them. We let them know that I am not going anywhere, but I will not walk down this path because it is a path to destruction, and I don't want you to go that way. We say to them, your interests are my interests, and your name is safe in my mouth. And we also walk as a friend with grace and forgiveness. We've got to be giving grace and forgiveness with others and not be easily offended. Here's what the Proverbs say about offense and argument. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. You've been there, I've been there. We've had somebody who we've been walking in friendship with for a short time, for a long time, and an argument happens, and this gate comes between us, and it's locked, and there's bars, and we don't have the key. We don't know what to do to unlock it, and we want to guard that friendship, we want to guard the relationship, but we don't know how. A couple things I wanna say about that. The first one is, Salem Alliance has a long history of peacemaker ministries. And there are people around here who are trained to be peacemaker coaches. So if you find yourself in one of those conflict type situations where you're like, I want to be in a relationship with that person, but I don't know the key to this gate that has come between us, I would encourage you to get in touch with the peacemaker ministries and to ask for a coach, somebody to walk with you talk with you about the issue, and help even with your vocabulary and your verbiage. How do you approach this situation to restore relationship? Because how we do friendship matters. And then as individuals, we need to be careful not to be easily offended. We need to recognize that there are personality differences, and we approach situations differently. We have different perspectives, and we need to recognize that when our, when our conflict with our friends is not really because one of us is really wrong and one of us is really right, but because we have a different personality perspective on what's going on here, and giving each other the benefit of the doubt, and giving grace. We need to recognize when the season of life changes, and somebody who's been able to spend lots and lots of time with us just doesn't have that same amount of time. And to recognize that that doesn't necessarily mean I need to take offense because they don't love me anymore or they haven't prioritized me in their life anymore. But seasons change. And I understand and hear that seasons change back the older we get. <laughs> and so while you might be in a season where you've got kids and you're running them to soccer and gymnastics and school and you're involved in a Bible study and the people that you used to connect with socially, you don't, socially? What is that? Friday nights? Who goes out and does anything social? Don't you all go to basketball games on Friday nights? 
that there's these seasons that are more busy than others, and that doesn't mean that my friends aren't being good friends anymore. And I don't need to take offense at that. I need to be careful what my expectations are. Have I come into this friendship with some expectations that I never verbalized? Now they're unmet. I'm taking offense. I'm about to be a fortified city that they can't win back, and they don't even know what's wrong because it's based on my expectations. And so we need to be people who don't take offense easily. We also need to hear each other's stories. James says to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So there are times in our marriage that my husband and I have conflict. I know, shocking, right? When conflict rises up. Let's just say that I'm pretty angry about something. And he and I have learned to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and try to be slow to become angry. He's better at it than I am. But we've learned to ask each other the questions and to, and to hear the other person's story. What was going on? So instead of coming at it and saying, I am so angry because you, nah, I come at it, I try, not perfectly, to say, hey, what was going on with you when this happened? And as he tells me his side of the story, and I understand what his words came from and where his perspective was coming from, there are times that my anger just completely dissipates. And I go, oh, by understanding his story, I understand his heart. I know he's for me, not against me. And the words that I heard and the story that I made up in my head and the anger that rose, it just all goes away because I heard his story. There are other times that we have to talk it through more than that. But let's be people who ask first and who hear each other's stories so that we can not be quick to take offense. Let's look at Proverbs 17, 9. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. Let's be clear, a fault is when something has been done that is not right. It is wrong, perhaps sinful, definitely hurtful. When there has been a fault in a relationship, God is calling us to forgive. But I think we have some misconceptions about forgiveness because how often do you hear this? It's okay, I forgive you. And there is a big difference between it's okay and I forgive you. There are times when what has been done is not okay. And yet God still calls us to forgive. And so sometimes the journey of forgiveness, before it can be extending forgiveness out, needs to be a journey in to understand what we're forgiving, to name the hurt, to name the offense, to name it for what it is. It was betrayal. It was slander. It was ridicule. It was whatever it was. And I will walk with God and allow him to bring it up and out in the place of forgiveness so that it doesn't continue to poison me and so that you and I can have a restored relationship. Love prospers when we walk in forgiveness, but dwelling on a fault separates close friends. Let's be people who, not denial. Forgiveness can't be denial. Oh, no, no, it's fine. It's not fine, but I forgive. I release it and I do not hold it against you any longer. So we say to friends, your faults and failures receive grace and forgiveness. Your faults and your failures receive grace and forgiveness. This is being a good, godly friend as described in the Proverbs. Let's just go through it really quick. Your name is safe in my mouth. Your interests are my interests. I care about the things that matter to you. And your faults and your failures receive grace and forgiveness. As we wrap up, I want to leave you with a picture 
of the potential of relationship done well. An analogy of the power of our connections and our connectedness in the body of Christ. I've heard it said that as people, we are like Lego bricks. And as a Lego brick, thinking about relationships, each of these connecting points are the way that we connect with others. But we're all different shapes and sizes, and there's no valuing one shape is better than another. We're just different. We've been created different. And so some people might be a, a thinner piece with, you know, here's 16 connecting points, and others might be a deeper piece. They, they need those friendships to go to a little bit further depth, but there's fewer connecting points. You know, there's one in here, if I can find it, that's a pretty deep piece with just two connecting points. And then there's this other one, I call it the red party brick. It's the extrovert off the scale that has all these connecting points. And all of us are in this room together, looking for community and looking for connection, but actually looking sometimes for different things. We all want a place where we can say, these are my people. And yet the person whose brick is this shape and size might say, I've been at Salem Alliance a long time and I've not found those couple people to just hold me accountable and really do life with and send my roots deep with and be authentic and my real self with. And somebody else might say, I've been at Salem Alliance a long time and I just have not filled my brick and what's wrong with you people? Because isn't church supposed to be the place where we make connections? Two people, great people, created by God, different relational and connecting needs, asking for connection, using the same words, but looking for two very different things. How do we be a community that does relationship well when we recognize that we are all different in our needs for relationship? We come to a place like this looking for connection, and it might look like everybody else already has their brick filled. Everybody else already has all their connecting points filled. To those of you who are looking for connection here at Salem Alliance, or maybe it's in your workplace or school, your family, your brick isn't as full as you'd like your brick to be and you're looking for connection. I just need to say this. I know it can be hard to break in here at Salem Alliance. I've heard it multiple times over the years that there's, there's a sense of coming into this service and it's a great place to be and I love to be here and everybody's nice, but at the end of the day, they all turn and leave the pew and walk out and have their people to go to and I don't have a connection with any of them. Or maybe I tried a community group, but everybody sat at the table with all their friends and I didn't know anybody and the table was full and I didn't know how to break into that table. Can I say that I know it's hard and I hope that you'll have courage to keep knocking on the door. I hope that there are people who see you and reach out to you but can I also give you the advice that my mother gave me? Look around. There are other people who feel like you. Who's on the outskirts? Who's on the fringe? And perhaps you could become an inviter, even though your deepest longing is that someone would invite you. I hope and pray that someone will invite you and that you will become that inviter and become part of what makes this place a place that when people walk in, they go, they loved me there. There was something different about that place. And to those of you who are well-connected and grounded here, could you consider your solid connections, your good friendships here, not just as a personal win? I love going to church. That's where my people are. This is my place. Great. It's Sunday. Let's go. I love being there. But could you see your 
healthy connections, and your comfortable friendships as a foundation for the overall health of this community? Could you see your social and emotional confidence based on the years of friendship in this place as a gift to extend to others by inviting them in? See, when we don't, we leave people in the brick tub. Individuals who maybe have been hurt by the competing and comparing of friendship in their life, who are maybe trying to make connections, and all they see is that we've got these people around this church that say, yep, my connections are full, I'm at capacity, I don't need any more friends, sorry, brick full. And we've got this tub of bricks, and some of you feel like this tub of bricks when it comes to friendship. Lots of people, lots of activity, lots of shapes and sizes, but nothing is really connecting with me. But what if, what if we could apply the concepts of servanthood to the topic of friendship and recognize that we are here to serve each other and that the healthy connections that those of us who've been here a long time and have roots in this place have to offer could actually become something bigger than just ourselves? What if we recognize that bricks with the same number of connecting points, when used to help others make a connection with others, when we use what God has given us to help others make connections in this place, we can become part of something bigger than ourselves. Perhaps even part of something as cool as this Corellian YT-1300 light freighter (laughs) that, incidentally, made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. We come a part of something with a purpose and a mission, with a common goal, perhaps even a common enemy. (laughs) We stand back to back and we can conquer because God has given us the courage to let go of our right to be right and to not be offended and we've chosen forgiveness and we've guarded our words and we've taken other people's interest to mind and we've taken our connection and we've used it to bless others and to say, I'm not just gonna have this connecting point so that I can have a full brick. I'm going to use the connecting points to help others connect in this place, who help others connect in this place, who help others connect in this place until we multiply the influence and the power of each brick and we become a part of something that's called the kingdom of God where people recognize Jesus at work in our midst because of the way that we love each other. Depending on your expectations, Depending on your season of life, what transition you may have been in, you may or may not have your brick as full as you want. And I want to acknowledge that as we close today. I know that some of you are sitting here and you're pretty lonely. And I just need you to know that God sees you. And as we close, I don't want this to come across as a pat answer or a band-aid on your wound because you need to hear that God created us for relationship. And I will pray that God will bring people into your life and into your path that can meet that need. But remember, your need is a God-shaped need. And the first person that you need to fill that hole is Jesus. And so we see in Romans 5.11, it says, now we see, we rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. That is a truth that we need God to move from our head to our heart. So we don't just know it, but we have a sense of security and confidence and a foundation in our soul because God has called us friend. And what that means is your name, my name, Jennifer, is safe in God's mouth. 
my interests, the things that I care about, the things that concern me, they are God's interests. And my faults and my failures, which are many, receive grace and forgiveness from the God who is my friend. Let's pray. Father, you are mighty. You are holy. You are righteous. You are savior. You are glorious. And we are humbled. And we are in awe that you allow us to call you friend. Thank you. Thank you for seeing us, for seeing the deepest longings of our hearts, for seeing the season of life that we're in, for seeing the brick that you created us to be and knowing just how many of those connecting points are full and just how many are empty. We lean on you and we look to you to be all that we need. And God, for those in this room whose brick is not as full as they want it to be, I pray the comfort of your Holy Spirit today in a tangible way, speaking to them and causing them to know and even feel the sense of your presence and your love in their life and that they are not alone because you are with them. And I do pray, God, that you would bring people across their path who know how to love because they know you. God, may we be people who love well because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.